I ask you to turn with me in your Bibles again to 1 Peter and chapter 2. And as we read the first 12 verses of this chapter, a portion that we've been looking over for some weeks, I would ask you to think of this question as we read, reread those first 10 verses, which we've studied for some time. Uh, this question, is it a blessing indeed to be a Christian? And then the alternate flip side of that question is, what if you're not a Christian? What do you get? And this is described really quite clearly in the first 10 verses of this chapter. And then we're going to look at verses 11 and 12. If indeed it's good to be a Christian, if you're blessed above all people, what then should you do? So keep those things in mind as I read again verses 1 through 12 of this chapter. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile, and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted that the Lord is kind. And coming to him as to a living stone, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed, or it could be translated put to shame. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 11 then, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation." Well, let's ask that God would help us and make these verses come to life for all of us. And if they have been a dead letter to you up until this day, may today be the day in which God says, let the light shine in the darkness. And so may it be that light comes to your soul on this very day. Let's ask for God's help. Father in heaven, indeed, we have seen in these past sessions, studies in this passage, how blessed indeed are your people, yea, blessed forever, and how dire, how dark is the future 
of those who are dead in their trespasses and sins and who desire to stay that way. We ask that you would open their eyes, transfer them from the domain of darkness, the domain of Satan, to the kingdom of the Son of your love, and do so even tonight. And for we, your people, who are in that kingdom of your dear Son, help us to fight against these fleshly lusts which are fighting against us, and to have excellent behavior, praiseworthy behavior, in the sight of this watching world. We ask this all to the praise of the glory of your grace, that you would see it and be satisfied. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. On verses 11 and 12, we come to a new section of Peter's letter. And in fact, this goes on into chapter 3, in which he is giving various duties, uh, duties to the government, uh, duties of servants to masters, duties of husbands to wives and wives to husbands, or vice versa. And uh, in all of this, he's, he's telling us how we ought to behave in this sin-cursed world in which we live, in this watching world which has its eyes upon us, and so he's telling us, all right, it, being so blessed, how should you live? And he kind of gives an introduction to that whole section in verses 11 and 12, which are a sort of a summary, a charge to us of how then ought we to live. And just again, put it in perspective. This is after telling us of this precious value, which is for you who believe that you have tasted that the Lord is kind. This is not just uh, to grind your nose and say, all right, you better get with it. This is saying, look, you, you are blessed of all people. God has shown his kindness toward you in Christ Jesus. You've been saved. You've been pardoned, accepted, and forgiven. All these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places are yours. How should you live? And so, with this morning, we heard something of that. And in fact, I said to one brother earlier, uh, Pastor Chansky did my introduction for me. Well, because we've been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the Son of God's love. We have been baptized. We've been made new creatures. We're to walk in newness of life. And Peter says the same kind of thing in different language when he says... Abstain from fleshly lusts, and they wage war against your soul. You're now strangers and aliens. You're, you're now in a different country. You're now in the kingdom of God, the son of God's love, but we still live on earth. And so we're kind of citizens of a heavenly kingdom. We're living among strangers. We're living among people who don't get us. And that's the reality that Peter is dealing with here. You have this precious value. Now we're going to live for our king. We're going to live for the son of God's love. We're going to live for our father in heaven. Now, fathers, when you talk to your children and you tell them how to behave and you lay down some house rules for them and you say, uh, for example, son, all right, daughters, sweetie, this, when you go to school, I want you to act like this. Do they say more rules? There you go again. It's just all rules, rules, rules. I hope they don't do that. You say, I'm your dad, right? Is that what you tell them? 
I'm your dad, and this is how I expect you to behave. My father, when I went off to college, I may have mentioned this before, he said to me, I, I remember it. I was, you know, 17 and thought I knew everything. Uh, he said, son, I've given you a good name, Hoffmeyer. Remember that. Take care of it when you go away to college. Well, we have a better name, a name written in heaven. A name as children of the heavenly father. And if our father tells us, listen, son, listen, daughter, this is how I expect you to behave. Are you going to say, ah, well, there he goes again. Rolls eyes. Whatever. No, you listen to your father. Another example. I don't know if your kids ever did this to you when you told them that they couldn't go somewhere, they couldn't do something. Well, so-and-so gets to do that. And their parents are in the church. You ever do this, dads? You say, well, okay, what's their last name? De La Cruz. All right, we were in the Philippines, right? And so how do you spell that? D-E-L-A-C-R-U-Z. All right, what's your last name? Hoffmeyer. How do you spell that? H-O-F-1-F-M-A-I-E-R. It's not the same, is it? No, duh. You know, well, hey, we're children of the Father in heaven. And he's telling us, this is how it is in my family. That's not legalism. That's not making more rules and saying, okay, this is what you got to do. Oh, there we go again. It's our Father. And you know what? Let me just, now we come back to our text, okay? This is a long introduction. But to underscore this, look how Peter begins this section. Beloved. Beloved. Now, we don't know how Peter developed a relationship with these people. He tells us in chapter 1, verse 1, they are those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. That's northern Asia Minor, northern Turkey, as we would call it, to central Turkey. How did Peter develop a relationship with these people? I don't know. Uh, Lenski gives in his commentary in the introduction some, I would call it speculation as to how that might have happened. But be that as it may, it really doesn't matter how it happened. Peter writes to these people, and it's obvious that he cared about them. Now, if that was so for Peter, with wherever he was writing this letter from, and he writes to these people in that area, how much more, when I stand here and look at, at all y'all in your faces, beloved? You know, I, I mean that. Beloved. I love this church and I love the people in it. And Peter wrote and he said, beloved, but you know, he's writing this as the inspired penman of the father in heaven. And so much more, if Peter loved them. How much more did God love them? And if I can say, beloved, how much more your heavenly father tonight is saying to you, beloved, this is what I want you to do. How's that go down? Well, if you put it that way, I hope that resonates, that strikes something in your heart. And so 
having tasted, as, as David wrote in Psalm 36, verse 8, having tasted of the river of his delights. You've drunk of the river of his delights. These blessings that he's described in the previous section, these things are yours. How ought you to live? And so all of this introduction is to help you to listen, help you to take to heart these exhortations then that Peter is going to give. And so basically now, coming to verses 11 and 12, Peter gives us two exhortations. Abstain from fleshly lusts. And verse 12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Those are the two exhortations that we're going to take up tonight. But there are also four motivations, four reasons that would drive us to do these things. One I've already given you, your beloved. But the other three we'll take up, Lord willing, next week. And so, okay, here's your homework assignment. Look in the passage and see. Well, what do you think Pastor Steve is seeing as three more motivations? Okay. So there's your homework assignment, but let's look tonight at the two exhortations that Peter gives us. First of all, abstain from earthly lusts. That's what not to do. Don't do fleshly lusts. And then the positive is keep your behavior excellent. And I like that translation. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, the watching world. All right, so first of all, then, abstain from fleshly lusts. What not to do? Well, what are fleshly lusts? These are desires, the word could be translated, that are rooted in our sinful nature. The word fleshly points to that. It's not saying, well, these are just things that attach to your physical body necessarily, but things which are attached to your sinful nature. The word flesh is oftentimes used in that way. And so... Uh, this could refer even to the desires of the flesh and of the mind, as Paul writes to the Ephesians, that before, he says, we were indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind when, before we were converted, when we were dead in trespasses and sins. So the desires of the, there can be attached to the body, but they're also mindly, if I can put it that way, lusts, evil desires. And so, uh, desires attached to our sinful flesh. It's, John dealt with this when he said, do not love the world, equals the realm of the flesh, that realm that we heard of this morning that is sin and condemnation and death. That whole realm is the flesh and the world. John says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so to use the imagery again of Romans 6, you've died to these things. You've been crucified to those things. Have done with them. All right. Now, what are these fleshly desires? Well, there are two kinds. Let me just state what they are first before we look at them in a little bit of detail. They're first of all, the things that are desiring to do uh, what is forbidden by God. Things that are absolutely wrong. But you know, fleshly lust can also be taking desire for things which are lawful in an unlawful way. 
Those can also be driven to fleshly lusts as well. But let's look at these two. The desire to do things forbidden by the word of God, fleshly lusts. Now, fleshly lusts would lead to what kind of deeds? Fleshly desires would lead to deeds of the flesh. You follow me? Where do we find those? Now, the deeds of the flesh are, let's turn to the passage. You're probably thinking of it already. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, verses 16 through 21. We looked at verses around this recently. But here we have the desires of the flesh, all right? So fleshly desires are specifically mentioned here. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That word desire is the same word that's used by Peter. The desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against, <clears throat> against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are... Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, sort of etc., of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not intending to give a detailed exposition of all the words of this passage, but let's just run down the list briefly, uh, scan it, and see, well, this is the kind of a thing that Peter is telling us to abstain from, to keep away from. Immorality. Now, that's, of course, the general great expression of lust. When we think of lust, we think of immorality. Sexual relations outside of monogamous heterosexual marriage, mental or physical, indulging in these things, immorality. Impurity is especially in thought, impure thoughts, again, immoral thoughts. Sensuality, this is living to please and arouse the senses, especially with regard to sexual behavior. Uh, sensuality, pleasing the senses, stirring up the senses, and pornography, this, this leads to this kind of sensuality, of pleasing the senses. Um, all manner of sin can be connected to this word. Idolatry, worship of anything in place of God. Anything. Money. We even, I think it was heard this, said this morning that uh, if we have covetousness, which is idolatry. Sorcery, any contact with or solicitation of evil spirits. Enmity, strife. Now, maybe we're getting perhaps a little closer to home. Enmity, strife. That is always looking for a fight or an argument. Uh, I remember going to a Bible study. It's just connected with Trinity Baptist Church, young people Bible study. And there, there came to be a discussion. This is going through the book of Romans. And... This discussion got a little warm, not heated, but this one fellow sitting there said, oh, I like a good fight. 
What kind of a testimony is that? Well, this person actually did not keep a Christian testimony much longer. We had a lady in Moonwalk who was always getting into conflict, enmity, strife. And yet, of course, to hear her side of it, it was never her fault. But she was always in the middle of it. Enmities, strife, jealousy of persons or things, outbursts of anger, carnal anger, that is. Now, of course, there's righteous anger, but the anger of man does not generally accomplish the righteousness of God. Righteous anger is controlled. It's for the right reason. It's manifestation is not going to be an explosion. It doesn't last overnight. It's, it's dealt with. How often is our anger like that, like God's anger? Outbursts of anger. That's already sinful. Disputes. Always arguing. Dissensions, factions. That is arguing, which leads to divisions. Even perhaps church splits. Envying, which is like jealousy, but especially more connected with things, perhaps. Drunkenness, carousing, sinful desires, leading to wild behavior in substance abuse. Now, that, that's, there's the list, and things like these. Now, that look attractive to you? You want to go there? Anybody say, well, boy, all these rules. I really want to do these things, and you're telling me I can't. Honestly, for a Christian, you read this list and you say, I'm fed up with that. Take it away. Pastor Chansky this morning used the illustration of World War II and the, in the Pacific and uh, ending that war with, with a nuclear detonation. Hiroshima, then Nagasaki. Uh, and I asked him, so what's the nuclear option in dealing with our sin? He said, it's already been done. Jesus did it. But we still would like to just take something and get rid of the rest of it, right? But it's not so easy. It's the slog of the fight against remaining corruption. That's why Peter has to say, Abstain from fleshly us. If they were all gone, if the nuclear option, which Jesus took care of on the cross, if that dealt with it all once and for all, we never had to fight any temptation again, he wouldn't have to say abstain from fleshly lust. You're walking in newness of life. Boom, it's done. No, we still have remaining corruption we have to fight with. And so that's why Paul said, I have sailed the good sail. I've cruised the good cruise. Is that what he said? I fought the good fight. And that good fight is going to last until you lay down your armor and you go home. Fight the good fight. And so all these are fleshly lusts, which we are to put away. But as I said, there's a second category, not just these things which are absolutely forbidden, but even good things, lawful things, which are taken to an extreme and indulged in in a sinful way, like eating. Is it good to eat? Yeah. How many people haven't eaten yet today? I don't see any hands. Well, it's fasting is a, a thing to do occasionally. It's not bad. Jesus told us. When you fast. He didn't say if you fast. He said when you fast. But it's not something we do every day. 
We eat. Thanksgiving. Maybe. Now, is it wrong occasionally to feast? There's a biblical doctrine of feasting as well as fasting. But you don't feast every day either. Eating, overindulging, is gluttony. How about earning a living? We pray for men who are without work because we're, we read in Ephesians chapter 4, it's God's desire that we work with our hands that which is good so that we may have not just to feed our lusts or to satisfy what we need, but that we may have to give to him who is in need. Working, but becoming a workaholic, loving money, going to extremes, overindulging, drinking. Now, the scriptures do not prohibit alcoholic beverages per se. They do prohibit drunkenness. That's taking it to an extreme. Sports and recreation. Is it bad to go for a run? No, it'd probably be good for some to do that more. But to do that so that you don't have time for your devotions, you don't have time, you're, you're going to be in a race on the Lord's day, is, is that good? That's overindulging, that's going too far. Friendships even. Are they good? They're one of the blessings that God has given us. But looking to men instead of looking to God for what he alone can provide? Again, fleshly lusts, going too far with good things, overindulging. And so abstain from fleshly lusts. What do we do with these fleshly lusts? Well, the word that Peter uses is really expressive. Uh, I, I, don't, I can't really think of a great English translation. One new English translation, NET Bible, puts it this way. Keep away from fleshly lusts. And literally, it's hold apart. It would be the uh, literal translation of the Greek, Greek word. Hold apart from them. In other words, keep your distance. Not just an arm's length. Not just keep them at an arm's length. It's keep a football field away from them. Or maybe even, you know, a couple miles. Go, go as far as you can from fleshly lusts. Don't play with them. Uh, we're not going to play with them because, well, we'll get to the motivations, but I'll just mention, I'm um, giving it away. They're enemies. <laughs> they wage war with your soul. You're not going to play with a hand grenade. Okay, let's play catch, you know. Mm, a nuclear hand grenade? No, you're not going to do it. Keep away from them. Now, maybe you say, okay, pastor, I want to stop, but I'm having a hard time with this. Some of these things, they've got claws. Some of them are so riveted to my person. How do I keep away from them when they follow me wherever I go? Well, look again at 1 Peter chapter 2 in the context. Why does Peter put this after... Verses 1 to 10. Well, there's a reason. Because he's just told you of all the blessings that you have in Christ. He's just told you that you have this precious value of this chief cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the perfect sacrifice for your sins. You have him. This stone which the builders rejected, you have seen. He's choice and precious. He's my savior. So you drink of the river of God's delights. Listen to Leighton, one of the, uh, a very good commentary on 1 Peter is written by this man, Leighton. And he says this, If you have the least experience of the sweetness of his love, if you have tasted of the crystal river of his pleasures, the muddy puddle pleasures of sin will be hateful and loathsome to you. Yea, the very best earthly delights will be disrelished and will seem unsavory to your taste. I like what he puts muddy puddle pleasures of sin. You're going to really go back to this muddy muck of sin when you've tasted the crystal river of the delights of God's salvation? It doesn't make sense. So consider what you have in Christ. Consider Christ himself. Consider your Savior in all of his dying love for you. What you have in him. And then these things which entice you in this world. You'll see their muddy puddle pleasures, and you'll be sick of them. Put on the Lord Jesus by spiritual fellowship with him. Someone mentioned this verse uh, earlier. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. How can you make no provision for the flesh with regard to its lusts, these lustful pleasures, fleshly pleasures? How can you do that? Well, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Union with Christ. Abiding in Christ. And how do you do that? By the word and by prayer. You come to him. Again, by his spirit. Going back to Galatians 5.16. I say, walk by the spirit. And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Walk by the spirit. Again, that means prayer, meditation in the word. You arm yourself with that full armor of God. We've heard about that recently. You put it on. You put on the Lord Jesus. You pray for the help of the Spirit. And you take what the Lord Jesus said. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The Spirit is willing. But you know, the Lord Jesus, though he did not have sinful flesh had flesh, human flesh, not sinful human flesh, but he said the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but understanding our condition, he said the flesh is weak. And so we have these fleshly lusts. Jesus did not have what we fight, but he understood. And he says, walk by the spirit. He says, keep watching and pray. Keep watching and pray. Don't let down your guard. So you may abstain from these muddy puddle pleasures of this world. So that's the first exhortation. Now, and more briefly, but necessarily, we look at the second exhortation that he gives here. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Keep your behavior excellent. Well, your behavior is your conduct, your way of life, uh, this is similar to what he said in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. He says there, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance. 
All right? When you were still in the domain of darkness, he says, have done with those. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Same word. All your behavior. Be like the Holy One who called you. All right, so your behavior, what you do, how you live, uh, how you conduct yourself from day to day, how you walk in this wicked world. And keep it excellent, worthy of praise or approval. And notice that, he, and we'll come to this with the motivations, it's talking about even in the sight of Gentiles, that is unbelievers, the watching world, even they will be forced to say, that's excellent. That's praiseworthy. That's good behavior. They might not like it. In fact, they won't like it. And we'll come to see why and deal with that, uh, Lord willing, next week. But even they will be forced to admit, yeah, he was right. Yeah, he lived a good life. Yeah, he, he, in fact, I don't know anybody like him. I don't know anybody like her in the office. Boy, oh boy. I don't know how you do it. Well, then there's the word for what you do with this excellent behavior. It says, keep it, keep it. And it's kind of a, it's a related word to that, uh, keep at a distance, these fleshly lusts. But this is hold on to, keep close to excellent behavior. Keep your behavior, hold on to your behavior as excellent before the watching world. Now, in other words, it's not what you, just what you don't do. That's what you do do. If the one was negative, abstain from fleshly lust. That's what we don't do. But then on the other hand, we're to show the world how does a Christian live. Excellently. Keep your behavior, the way of the manner of life. Keep it excellent. And just for a couple of verses, let me read Colossians 3, 12 and 13. And so, and so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. In other words, as the Lord treated you, and we have it in the context here, you've tasted his kindness. Now show the world kindness. That's excellent behavior. Galatians 5, 23 we studied this also recently. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, that's trustworthiness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Like the Good Samaritan that we read of this morning. Which one of these was a neighbor to that man? Well, the man who took care of him, the Samaritan. Not the pompous Pharisee or the Levite, the priest. It was the Samaritan, the lowly, despised Samaritan. That's excellent behavior. Think about it. Stopped, took care of him, cleaned him up, put him on his own beast of burden, 
brought him to the end, paid for him. That's what Jesus did for us. It was his cost to clean us up. It was the cost of his own precious blood. And now he's saying, all right, excellent behavior. Be a good neighbor. Be a good Samaritan to those around you. Well, as we close this evening, as we come to some words of, exhort, uh, of, of uh, encouragement and uh, conclusion, as we look at this, again, it's, it's okay, it is an exhortation. Abstain from fleshly lusts, keep away from them, and hold on to excellent behavior. Show that to the watching world. Let that shine. Sound familiar? Don't hide your candle. Let your light shine. You're the salt of the earth. Excellent behavior. Now, as we apply this, I want to say, first of all, for some of you, when we go through that list of the deeds of the flesh, the lusts of the flesh, you have to confess, that's me. Oh yeah, it doesn't sound pretty, but really, that's what controls me. You may say, well, I don't want to do it, but you do it all over and over. And I'm not just talking about the fighting the fight. I'm talking about you, you, you've capitulated. You're not a Christian. And what then? Oh, well, we read about it in those previous verses. They stumble because they're disobedient to the word. To this doom they were appointed. A stone of stumbling. A rock of offense. And you know, if I may say, and I think Peter would have said this too, even if you weren't one of those ones who was a Christian, a believer to whom he was writing, and you had stumbled on his letter, he would have said, Beloved, I, I care about you too. And I want you to be saved. From this wicked world and the consequences of sin. Because there's a day coming. A day coming. When we all stand before him. And in that day, you towed up what you've done. Oh, well, I enjoyed this sin. I had a great time with that sin. And then I got old and I couldn't really enjoy it very much anymore, but I still tried. At the end of the day, what have you got? A guilty conscience. Now, Christians, you know, we struggle with guilty consciences sometimes we take it to the blood of jesus and wash it clean and you can do that too not an excuse for sin not say oh well it doesn't matter what i did because i can go to jesus no 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 because we want we're <laughs> let me tell you if we could jettison all these fleshly lusts and say nope get off they keep coming back we, we're done with them and you would be too if you come to Christ, what did we learn in Romans 6? Buried with him in baptism unto death. You've died to those things. You're done with them. And you have the new principle. Walk in newness of life. It's a new life. It's not yet perfect. It will be. But it's new. It's new. To be a new creature in Christ. What a blessing.
all these blessings that Peter describes. And so, who in their right mind would not want to be a Christian? Well, sadly, the world's not in its right mind because we read in 2 Corinthians 4 that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. But don't, don't make that an excuse. But we pray the light will shine in the darkness. And you'll see it. In Christ, the light. But for you who are new, new creatures, you've died to sin, you've been raised to newness of life, you're new creatures in Jesus, but we confess there's still the fight going on. You know, there, there are those who uh, hid in bomb shelters when the nuclear uh, weapon went off and they're still coming out of their holes and they're coming and still giving us trouble. Well, what do we do? Well, we're under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. Keep putting them to death. Keep fighting. Don't give up. You want to be holy? You delight in the Lord. You again, go to the river of His delights and not to the muddy puddle pleasures of sin. Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in, now listen carefully, you know the verse, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Oh, more laws, more rules. His delight, he's a new creature. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And he would be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. He's not perfect. Not yet. But he wants to be done with the sin of this world. Believing obedience. Believing obedience. You have believing prayer for the Holy Spirit to help you. You have believing obedience, not slavish obedience. Go back to 1 Peter 1 again. As obedient children. Okay, again, we're dealing with our Father. Do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you address as Father... The one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon earth, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. He's my father. I want to please him. He loves me. He's, he's provided all I need. He's a good father. I want to follow him. But he's the judge. And in fear, I want to keep from sin too. Use all those motives. The motive of love, the motive of fear. Abstain from fleshly lust. Believe and obey. And don't make excuses. This is my last word. You know, sadly... We have what Pastor Martin, I remember, used to call uh, this monkey on our backs, Ration L. Iser. Uh, it was his name. 
And uh, this monkey on our backs would whisper in our ears, you know, really, uh, it, it's too hard for you. And, and you just take it easy, just slack off and God will understand. And all, all of these kind of things he whispers to us, rationalizer. Well, one thing he says is, you know, it's just too hard. And anyway, that's just the way you are. You ever have him whisper that? You got this monkey? You ever heard him? I think we're kind of born with him, but he doesn't go away when we're converted. Well, it might be hard. And he might be whispering in your ear and saying, no, you know, just take it easy. Just give up. You know, you can't really do anything about it. And you lost your temper last week. You lost your temper this week. You're going to lose your temper again. So forget about it. No, you fight the good fight. You get back in the ring with the Apostle Paul. A few more rounds to go and then we're home. That's all. The bell's going to ring and you're going to win. But hang in there and keep fighting. And don't give up. And, and listen to this promise. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. You're not the only one facing this. And God is faithful. Go back to him. God, you're faithful. You keep your word. You promise your grace is sufficient for me. Help me. God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able? But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure. Look for that way. Oh, I can't find it too hard. Look for the way of escape. It's there. God promised it. That you may be able to endure it. And so don't give up the good fight. Fight that good fight. Keep in the ring. And hear those precious words. Well done. Not thou perfect servant. There was only one perfect servant. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. Yeah, you're in the fight. I'm in the fight. Yeah, I know about the fight. Don't give up. Abstain from fleshly lusts. Keep your behavior excellent before this watching world. And may God be glorified with Trinity Baptist Church. That's with you and with me, with all of us. And may the world sit up and take notice. That's what we want. We just sang, we long to see your churches full. How's that gonna happen? If you, in your workplace, in your homes, in your neighborhoods, bumping into people all over the place, Show them excellent behavior so that they are even forced to say, what's with you? And ask you to give a reason of the hope that's in you. And you take charge through that door when it opens before you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these exhortations given to us by your servant, the Apostle Peter. You told him to shepherd your sheep, to tend your lambs. And we have in this letter attending of our precious souls. These lambs here at Trinity Baptist Church through this letter written so long ago, but still speaking with freshness to us. 
We ask that you would help us as we fight the good fight, as we seek to keep away from fleshly lusts. We're sick of them. We, we confess that we still sometimes fall, perhaps even repeatedly, but we're sick of them. Help us. You have told us if by the Spirit we walk, we will not do the deeds of the flesh. Help us to walk by the Spirit, through the Word, through prayer, by your help, day by day. And for those who are still enslaved to various lusts, we ask that you would deliver them, even by the Word of your Gospel, by the blood of the Lamb. May it be, again, as the Word is preached tonight, that you would cause light to shine in the darkness, that they would be fed up, with the way of the world and desire the river, the crystal river of your delights. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.